everybody? My name is Tim Porter. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Community. It's good to be together. Uh, You've survived, uh, hopefully, the last blizzard of 2020, and even one named with a very ominous uh, name, right? A bomb cyclone. Did you know that that's what we just went through? A bomb cyclone. Well done. You made it. It's good to be here together online. You're probably wisest, uh, but we're bravest because we're here uh, and you're at home. But it's good to be together in all these ways here tonight. Um, a few years ago, in, in recent years, the Actian Auction House reported to the BBC that the world's most expensive medieval piece of art was auctioned off. And it was auctioned off for $26.6 million. It was a world record. But the story behind this painting was even more strange because this painting was discovered in a northern or a city in northern France and it belonged to an elderly woman who had it hanging on her kitchen wall right above a hot plate for decades. For decades, she walked past this piece of art that sold for $26.6 million, looking at it, thinking that it was nice and quaint, a, a little religious painting. It was about Jesus being mocked at his trial, but seeing no real value in it at all. When it was first discovered, it was thought to be worth $7.7 million, and then auctioned off for four times more than what it was originally valued as. Now, some of us are going to go home and start looking at the paintings in our walls and wondering, maybe, but it's probably not going to happen. But it is possible for you and me tonight to be like that elderly old woman and miss the value of something that we maybe take part in Year after year after year, a nice, quaint, religious ceremony coming to church on Christmas Eve and not really tap into the value and to the great treasure and power of what we're talking about here tonight. That would be a travesty. The only thing worse, it seems to me, than getting a bad gift is letting a really valuable, precious gift lay unopened under a tree. And tonight we're going to be talking about a gift that God wants to give to you and me. I want to ask you a question, just as we begin tonight. Don't answer out loud. Definitely don't answer for your spouse. But, how are... How peaceful have you been this last week? Now, I know that might not be a fair question because Hudson canceled school twice this week and you've had your kids around the house more than you expected to do, maybe had to move some schedules around and those types of things. But scan back just at the last week that you have lived. How peaceful did you feel? Were your days and hours marked more by an internal peace or more by anxiety, worrisomeness,
stress, irritability. God wants us to experience peace. And it's a gift that he gives to us. It started at the first Christmas, and we can still receive that kind of a gift even tonight. So we're going to talk about, we're going to be looking at a passage that was written about 800 years before Jesus showed up. And it's about Jesus, and it's promising what Jesus will be like and what he will accomplish. We're reading from a, a famous passage of scripture. You probably might uh, hear Handel's Messiah in the background as I read through it, though you're going to be glad that I don't sing it. And this passage, this passage was a promise about what God is going to do and it was originally given to a people that were war-torn and experienced great devastation and they were in gloom and God makes an astounding promise to them and fulfilled it on the first Christmas it's about what God was going to do in the world Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7 is a passage that will be on the screens, but also if you'd like to read along as well, and the Bible's in front of you, page 573. And also, if you're new to faith community, I'm going to read through a passage of Scripture, and then when we come to an end of it, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and then we're all going to say together, thanks be to God. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone, light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment that's rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peace. Jesus is announced here as one who will be called Prince of Peace. Peace, what is it? In one sense, we all have a sense of what peace is. It is the, cease, the cessation of fighting. There's no more war. Right now, Ukraine is wanting peace, at the very least, a stopping of war. But peace as the Bible describes it, and peace as you and I are designed to experience, and, and peace as what God has come to give us is bigger than just simply the stopping of war. 
Parents, we want to experience peace on Christmas morning. And it's not just that we want our children to not fight with one another. We want, to, we want them to experience contentment and joy and sharing a type of wholeness, a type of completeness, a type of the, the sense of the heart that everything is right with the world. The Bible calls that shalom. Maybe you've heard that word before, shalom. Shalom, again, is just, it, it's bigger than simply the, the stopping of fighting. It's a completeness. It's that which has been divided or broken has been fully repaired. Now, much like many of you who were in Hudson or the Twin Cities area this spring, we had three out of four of our cars get hail damage with the storm that came through. And one of our sons really loves his car a lot. And his, dam his car, I think, probably got some of the most damage to it. And before he had a chance to get the hail damage repaired, he hit a deer. Yes, our insurance company loves us. <laughs> but we took the car to a friend of mine who knows exactly what he's doing in car repair. He is excellent at his work. He's so excellent in his work that he's sending me pictures along the way and he's finding damage of a previous wreck that somebody else did on the West Coast and he's showing me, look, I found this and I'm gonna put it back and I'm gonna make it right. And my son Ian got his car back and it was perfect. That's what shalom is like. Where, where there was damage, where there was brokenness, it has been fully and completely repaired. And this is what God is, he's committed to creating in this world. This passage ends with this phrase, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What that means is that God's whole heart, his whole energy, his zeal is bent toward bringing peace into his world that he created, that we've corrupted. His whole heart is bent on this, that he would do it. Now, I've struggled with this. Maybe you have as well. You look around at the world and we think and we see rightly that it's absolutely broken and dark at times. It's a place I don't even know if I want to be in anymore because it can be so dark and broken and fighting can be all around you. And we can stand and we can look at that and we go, look at all of this brokenness and look at all this evil, look at all this injustice and look at all this fighting. How in the world can there be a good God who's in control of all this? Why does he do something? If you've ever had that thought, if you've ever had that kind of objection, that's not a reason to not dig into the Bible. Because the Bible is absolutely driven to give an answer to why it is the way things are and what God is doing. See, God cares about his world and he cares about the injustice and he cares about the brokenness. He is committed to writing it. And the way that he writes it, when it's all said and done, we will stand back and say, surely Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Look at what he's done. That's the grand vision of the Bible. The audacious claim of what God is doing. 
Now, if today were Easter, one, we probably wouldn't have blizzard warnings, but who knows, we're in the upper Midwest. If today were Easter, I'd want to say a little bit, I want to talk about a little bit different angle of peace and shalom. I'd want to talk about the future. Because there's a sense in which the things that God promises from the Bible about shalom and about completeness and about everything made right, that won't be fully restored until Jesus returns. But today's Christmas. And today is about what God began to do nearly 2,000 years ago. This is why this passage talks about of the increase of his government. It's talking about Jesus, of the increase of his government and of peace. It will be everlasting. There will be no end. Because Jesus' peace, it started in the first century when he first arrived, but it will continue and it will grow and it will expand. And one day there will be no more tears. One day there will be no more heartache. One day there will be no more war. It will be peace. And that's where God is taking us. But what I'd like to spend some time talking about today is how you and I can experience peace today. So that what God has done in Jesus isn't just something that we do, so, like maybe interact with, with once a year. It's something that actually starts to impact our day-to-day -day lives, our moment-to-moment -moment thinking, our irritability, our anxious thoughts, our worrisomeness, the stress that sometimes can overtake us. How do we do that? First, we remember that what God has done is he's trying to get at the root cause of the war and the brokenness in the world. We read in this passage, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Where does peace start? It starts at the core of where the brokenness and war is at. And this is a challenge for us because we tend to not think about it this way. We tend to look at the world and see all the different fighting and see all the arguments and see all the injustices around us and think that that's the big problem. That's actually not the big problem. That's a symptom of a bigger problem. And the biggest problem that you and I have, where the real war is that God starts to bring repair to is our relationship with him. We sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, God and Sinners Reconciled. Where God begins to bring his peaceful repair, where it needs to start, is with each individual heart receiving his peace through a relationship that's been repaired through his son, Jesus. See, the large story of the Bible includes that you and I, though God has been remarkably generous, 
Though every breath that we have is a gift from him. Though he's been persistent in kindness and goodness, you and I have ignored him. Every one of us has in some way rebelled against him and done what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it and how we wanted to do it. We don't care about what God has to say. We've all done that. And that's created a, a rift and a war in the relationship between us and God. And you might say, ah, I don't even know if there is a God. I'm not at war with him. Yes, that's the very problem. You don't know that there's a God who's there. That's part of the war. But God has done everything. God has done everything needed necessary to restore our relationship with him, to bring real peace into our lives. This is what the angels announced when Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those through, with whom he is pleased. Luke 2. Jesus' mission is one of peace. First and foremost, to restore us in our relationship with God. And God has done that by sending his son. It's remarkable to think about what we're celebrating here tonight is the God who created the world has become one of his creatures. He's become like us. That's the son who's been given. Became like us. He was born like us lived the life that we ought to have lived, died a death that we deserve to die. The only person in human history of whom it can be said, Jesus was born to die. He rose again from the grave. He's coming again for us and he's done all of that to repair the relationship that we have squandered or that we have ignored or when we have pushed God aside and done what we wanted to do because that's where all the other difficulty that we experience in life begins is in that war. And it's a gift. Notice the text says that a son has been given. It's a gift, a gift of God's grace because he wants us in relationship with him, not because he's insecure and needy, but because we are. He's made us for himself. One writer, a fourth century monk named Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Till they find their peace in relationship with God. A couple of months ago, I had a young man come up to me after the service and say, how do, I, how do I get back into relationship with God? How do I repair my relationship with God? I said to him, it's absolutely simple. All, it's simple to repair your relationship with God and yet deeply profound. It's simple because all you have to do just like every other gift that you've ever been given is just to receive it. And you receive it simply by talking to God, 
It's so simple. Simply by talking to God. God, I've been at war with you. I've ignored you. I've done what I wanted to do. Even if I don't care what you want me to do, would you please forgive me? You've given me peace in relationship with you. I ask for and I receive that peace. And I want to live differently now with your peace. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. It's amazing that it's that simple because we tend to think we got to do something to earn some favor with God. If we have any kind of religious background at all, it seems like at times if I've done something wrong, I've got to do something to make it up with God. That's part of the war. All we have to do is receive the gift. Have you done that? Have you received the gift of peace in your relationship with God? If you have not, please come talk to me right after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be up here. I'd be honored to do that. The other is that the gift of God's peace in relationship with him is sort of like one of those nesting dolls, the Russian nesting dolls. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like you, you open up the outer shell of a nesting doll and there's another nesting doll, there's another doll in there and you open that one up and there's another one and you open that one up and another one and you go all the way down. That's what the gift of God's peace is like. So you and I, even, even if you've walked with Jesus for a long time and even if long time ago you received the gift of peace with God through Jesus in a relationship with him, we can still be letting the picture hang on the wall of God's peace and not really letting that come into our hearts and take full access to the peace that he provides. Again, how are our hearts? Are our hearts easily irritated? Are our hearts overly critical with others? Are our hearts characterized by stress and worrisomeness and anxiety? Jesus has come that we can have peace. And it's an internal peace as well. This is one of the reasons why there's this culmination of words in this section here. Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These are names. This is what he shall be called. Now, if Jesus were to be like my 15-year-old son and go to the DMV and try to get his donkey license, and they say, what's your name? He says, wonderful counsel. He'd be like, what kind of name is that? These aren't necessarily like personal names. These are, these are titles. And these titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, they are talking about God's character, his, his attributes as they're revealed in Jesus. What is Jesus really like? He's the prince of peace. Because he is the wonderful counselor. He's the prince of peace because he is the mighty God. He's the prince of peace because he's the everlasting father. And when you and I get grasped in our hearts that Jesus is 
our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting father. And we let those truths of his character and his goodness really invade and settle in our hearts. We can experience more of his peace on a day-to-day basis. Not free from peace totally. We still live in a broken world. But increasing peace. Isaiah says a little bit after this passage, he says, God keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. See, one of the reasons why we're not experiencing the peace that Jesus has has to offer, and this isn't shame, this is just reality, is because we're forgetting or neglecting or ignoring that the Prince of Peace is also a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father to us personally. See, if you dig down, I don't know if you know this about yourself, and maybe you're, maybe you're different than I am, but when I'm overly stressed, when I'm gripped by anxiety, when I'm easily irritated, when I am Worrisome, at the heart of hearts, at the core of my being, I'm thinking I'm all alone. I don't have all the resources that I think that I need to make it in life. And I have to only depend on myself ultimately. Other people are going to fail me. And what Jesus wants us to know is that the truths of him being wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, actually overcome and contradict all those thoughts that we might have when we are worrisome, anxiety-ridden, irritable, critical. That he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father to us right here right now, today. If we believe that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, we will take his counsel and live it out in our lives. And think about how we tend to operate as human beings. What do you do when someone hurts you? Our initial response is to try to find some way to get them back. Gossip, lashing out. We're trying to deal with the hurt by hurting somebody else. That's our counsel. Jesus' wonderful counsel is the exact opposite. When we are sinned against and hurt and harmed, Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. You repay evil with good. That's wonderful counsel. And Jesus lived that way as well. Sometimes we are experiencing anxiety and worrisomeness because we are living according to our own counsel, not according to Jesus' wonderful counsel. See how this works itself out in day-to-day life? How much do you know the counsel of God as he's given it in his scriptures to guide you in your life 
so that we can experience peace. A high recommendation for everybody in the room and online that we have a course here that we offer a couple times a year called Freedom Groups. The next one's going to be starting up in February, so this is an early announcement. You get it just because you're here at Christmas. But it's a Freedom Freedom Groups is a, is a way to learn God's counsel about how to live freely as his followers, as his people. It's an important course for everyone, whether or not you're, you're just learning to follow Jesus or even following Jesus for a really, really long time because it gives us what is the counsel that we all need so that we can learn how to live freely, experience God's peace, even in the midst of difficult circumstances that might not go away experiencing God's peace. It'll start up in February. As soon as we start promoting it, register. Register. It's so important. Jesus is the everlasting father, which is a weird way to think about Jesus. But when it's a title, it starts to make sense. What he's doing as everlasting father is he's showing us what God is really like, but he's also showing us, um, he's also teaching us that we can trust him day in and day out. Dads, I got to ask you a question. Again, don't say anything out loud. Just reflect for a second. Dads. Are you not deeply interested in how your children are doing? If something comes into your child's life, no matter if they're adults and have their own children, aren't you committed to trying to do whatever you have to do to help them? You don't want to see your kids harmed at all? If you hear about them being bullied, what are you going to do? You're going to show up. Do you know, dads, that you feel that way about your kids because God feels that way about you? He's committed to our good. His heart is bent toward our peace and he wants us to flourish as human beings. He wants to provide everything that we need. And sometimes we think when we're irritable, when we're worrisome, when we're anxious, we think that God is really pretty stingy. He's not a generous father. And what Jesus has come to show us is that's exactly what he's like. He is a generous, everlasting father. He's committed to you forever. Lastly, Jesus has come because he's the mighty God. And at times when I'm anxious and I'm worrisome and easily irritated, it's because I think I have to solve my problems or I think my problems are too big for God to solve. And Jesus is saying, I'm the mighty God. Is there anything I can't do? Think about what we celebrate here at Christmas time. The God of the universe who holds everything together, who sustains everything, who brought it into being at the beginning, who will bring it to a conclusion at the end and remake everything. That God became a human being. If God can crawl into an egg 
and become a human being, born of a woman. Don't you think he can figure out your problems? If God can go into the grave as Jesus and burst forth from the grave three days later, don't you think he can handle your problems? God can bring us peace in our hearts in difficult times. Not always by removing the difficulty, but by showing us just how powerful he is in walking us through the difficulty. Showing us that he will surprise us with his power to make things happen that we never imagined. It's where peace can come to settle into our hearts. It's the value of God's peace coming in day in and day out into your heart. One way that I've started to try to practice and just keep my mind stayed on God throughout the day is with a simple prayer. Just when I'm self-aware and I'm feeling anxious or worrisome or I'm starting to realize that family members are letting me know that I'm easily irritated, asking Jesus throughout the day, just simply asking Jesus throughout the day, Jesus, will you be my peace? Jesus, you are my peace. Jesus, lead me with your peace. And just throughout the day doing that, keeping my mind stayed on Jesus. Jesus, you are my peace. Jesus, will you be my peace? Jesus, will you lead me with your peace? Helps remind me that my Prince of Peace, he's my wonderful counselor. He's my mighty God. He's my everlasting Father. I can walk in his peace. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song together. One of my favorite Christmas hymns, O Holy Night. And I want you to pay attention to a line in this song. Because it can easily sort of skirt us by and we can leave it hanging on the wall when there's a, it's of great value. It's in the first, or first uh, stanza. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Till he appeared. It's talking about till Jesus appeared and the soul, in the moment that Jesus appeared, our souls feel the worth, their worth. What does that mean? The author's singing about what the experience is like when we come to grips with the fact of what God has done to bring us back in relationship with him. You are worth the birth of his son. You are worth the death of his son. Do you feel that worth? Do you let it sink in?
speak to your fears. Speak to your anxieties. We can sing about it tonight. I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing this song together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for all that you have done to bring us into relationship with you, that we could have peace with you. And here tonight when we celebrate your son's first arrival, we ask that you would send him again soon to right the world, to put it back, that we would all experience shalom. But until that day, you increase your peace in our hearts and may we extend it to everyone around us may you be worshipped as we sing to you and fall on our knees in Jesus name